Well, let's turn together now to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we are going to talk about work today. So how do you feel about your job? They tell us that the average person spends about 90,000 hours on their jobs. That's about 30% of your life is spent at work. And so your, your life at work is a significant part of your life. In fact, if you're a Christian, your, your work life is a significant part of your spiritual life. We can say this, if you're not following Jesus at work, you're hardly following Jesus at all. This is how significant this is. And by the way, some of you are school teachers and you just wrapped up a very unusual school year. We appreciate the many school teachers in the church. I hope you get a, a couple of months of rest before doing it all over again. But we all have thoughts about work. Maybe you're like me and you love your job. So I'm still the happiest pastor I know. And by the way, 15 years we've been together and uh, I still feel like I'm in the honeymoon stage with the church somehow. But the joy of pastoring here is because of the people here, that it is a delight to serve the Lord here and to serve you here. And yet, like everybody's job, this is a labor of love, a labor of worship, but a labor. So after the three wonderful worship services today, uh, I'll be a bit spent and I'll have my customary serious afternoon nap about 1 p.m. And, and one of my mentors talked about serious nap back in the pajamas, back under the covers for a little bit of a break, even as fun as it is. Now, you might have a different work situation and, and you, don't, you don't love what you do, perhaps. And maybe you say, yeah, I, I don't find my work very rewarding, that I'm only in it for the paycheck. And can I tell you, that's not a bad thing. That if you're in a job that you don't find rewarding, but you just work it to get a paycheck to provide for yourself and your family, uh, assuming it's a noble job, that's a noble thing to do. In fact, it's kind of a luxury for people to be able to choose their professions. You know that many people around the world, there's no option to choose a more fulfilling career. It's just, what does my family do? Well, we're farmers and we go pick things out of the ground and plant and labor. That's just what we do. There's no choice. Or maybe they're merchants and I'm just going to be running that store. Uh, that's my life. I don't get a choice. And so, so listen, it's, it's honorable if you're just working a job that you don't find that rewarding because you love your family. But maybe you are in a job that you would describe as a draining job. Maybe you feel underappreciated and underpaid in what you do. Maybe you would like your job if it weren't for those difficult coworkers around you there. Or maybe you have a boss that you would say, oh, my boss is inept or my boss is actually terrible. If you have a negative work environment, this text is going to speak more readily to you because that's the context here. Peter's writing to those who are Roman slaves about how they are to conduct themselves as Christians who are now working the jobs that they always have, but now with a new identity. So let's go into it together. First Peter two, let's pick up in verse 18. Servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So we're in this section of First Peter where he has just talked to us about how we relate to government. 
and that even with a secular government, we, the children of God, are inclined to give honor and submission to the governing authorities. Now, continuing that same idea of submission, we have this time to apply it to our places of employment. And so in in our employment, we bring respect and that same heart that's inclined to be submissive there. So let's talk about our employment. What I think Peter might help us to understand is our work suffering, because that's how many people look at their work. This is my work suffering. So Peter brings up again the same idea of submission now applied to work. And he describes a very sad situation, if you noticed. Verse 18, he talks about you at work being treated unjustly. Verse 19, he talks about sorrows that you could experience on the job because of the treatment coming at you. Verse 20, he even speaks of beatings that you could take, not because you did something wrong, but even though you're a good worker, some injustice coming to you. And of course, it takes us into this realm of Roman slavery. The word here he uses is the word for domestic servant. The word is oiketai. It's a synonym of that word doulos. Depending on the context, we bring that over into English, either as servant or as slave. So slavery, when you read the Bible, you'll find it, it comes up a good bit in the New Testament because slavery was so commonplace in the Roman Empire. There were millions of slaves in the Roman Empire. They tell us at the height of the empire in Italy alone with 6 million residents, 2 million of them were actually slaves. So how did people become slaves in the Roman Empire? Well, on the one hand, some people would sell themselves into slavery because of some economic trouble they were having. They would get themselves into that arrangement. Others, though, were conquered in war. So the great Roman army would conquer an area, take prisoners of war. These people would then be sold into slavery. But also in Roman slavery, there was at least the potential that a person could buy themselves out of slavery. They could purchase their freedom. The other thing about Roman slavery is that these slaves would mix and mingle with everybody else. You really couldn't tell easily who was a free man and who was a slave. Listen to what one scholar said about this Roman slavery. He said, the socioeconomic institution of slavery was extremely widespread in both Greek and Roman society. Slavery was protected by civil law. The military conquests of Rome produced many prisoners of war who were subsequently sold as slaves. Unlike the American institution of slavery in the 18th and 19th centuries, slavery in the ancient world was not racially restricted. Another source said this, slaves worked everywhere in private households, in mines and factories and on farms. They also worked for city governments on engineering projects such as roads, aqueducts and buildings. As a result, they merged easily into the population. I think for a moment, though, we need to contrast that with the, the really despicable form of slavery that was here in the United States. I mean, no slavery was good. It was bad in the Roman Empire. But if we're going to compare them, what was happening here was particularly evil. Because what happened here was you had people who were subjugated and denied human rights because of the color of their skin. How evil was it here? Slavery in America would actually deny the full humanity of other human beings created in the image of God. They were subjugated against their will. And in, in American slavery back in the day, there was really no opportunity that you thought you would ever be free here because of the color of your skin. This is just what your lot in life was going to be. And so let's just pause a minute and we say that indeed was horrible. It was awful. It's an embarrassing part of our history. And we, we all know that and thank God. And don't we thank God together that is gone. Since we're talking about slavery, we are told that there is a modern slave trade 
described as human, human trafficking, and we certainly want to pray with those who are seeking to liberate men and women, children who are actually enslaved in various places around the world, being forced to work different jobs, maybe tricked into what they're doing. Uh, we want all people to be free. But let's shift our minds now back to the first century into the Roman Empire, and let's consider together some good news that we brought up this very sad topic, this evil topic of slavery. There's something good to note here, and that is that that the gospel was moving among all types of people, all different backgrounds in the Roman Empire. So government officials are coming to Christ. Soldiers were coming to Christ in the Roman Empire. Merchants were coming to Christ. And aren't we glad the gospel was even reaching those who were slaves in the Roman Empire. And they're being born again. Their lives are being changed. And a question to the slave who's now a Christian is, how do I relate to this master of mine? Some of them are all right, but many of them are cruel. How do I relate to them now that I'm a Christian? And so these Christians now have this new identity and they know it. Peter's writing to them. Listen, all of you in the church, whether it's free or slave, you are elect exiles. You are the chosen sons and daughters of God. What a, what a wonderful understanding of your identity. You are a part of that royal priesthood. You are those living stones being built into this living temple of God here in the new covenant. So this is, this is who you are, a heady, wonderful, lofty new designation. But in their daily lives, still a slave. Roman government still has them kind of locked in there as a slave. So, so how are they going to act? Well, first of all, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he would tell these slaves, hey, if you can get your freedom, if you can purchase yourself out of it, by all means do it. This is 1 Corinthians 7.20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. Clearly better to be free. If you can't get out of it, here's what you're going to do. And that's the context here. Obviously, Peter's writing to people who don't have the opportunity to get free. So, so what do I do? How do I relate to these bosses, these masters over us? in this legally binding status of slavery? How do I represent Christ in a situation like this? So back to our text, here's what he says, be in submission. Just like you were in submission to a pagan government, God would have you be in submission in this situation here. Now look at again how he describes it. First Peter 2, 18, Romans, or rather these Roman servants, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, when endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So, so what he's saying to these Christians who happen to be slaves, listen, don't, don't do this. Don't bow up now that you're a Christian. Don't tell your boss, I don't have to listen to you anymore because I have a, I have a new King. And now this is all off. Don't, don't do that for the sake of the gospel. Keep doing what you're doing. Carry out your job. Be respectful as much as you can, even though you're being treated unfairly. And this is what Paul told people in that same situation throughout the New Testament. Titus 2, verses 9 and following. Paul was inspired to write this. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Same teaching that Paul gave in Ephesians 6 that he gave in Colossians chapter three and first Timothy chapter six, notice it. So that in everything they may adorn 
the doctrine of God, our Savior. So, so what am I supposed to do at work? Well, I'm inclined to submit to those over me at work because that's God's will. God has established order. I'm, I'm inclined to do that. But I'm also doing this simply because my Lord tells me to do that. That's how I function at work. But I'm also doing it for evangelistic reasons. I want to be a part of not distracting people away from Jesus. I want to actually, through my life, as the Holy Spirit empowers me, I want to adorn the gospel, that people might be more attracted to Christ. Now, we're not slaves, praise the Lord. And we have different options on the table as we apply this to ourselves. So let's just, here, we take some of these words here, and it's, it's, it's horrible to read that, that human beings were even beaten by other human beings as slaves. It's, it's terrible. But in your workplace, thank the Lord, not a slave. We have options. So if you're getting beaten at work, very clearly, what do you do? Call 911. <laughs> Call the police. That should not happen. That's assault. Call, call the police. We have options that they didn't have in the first century in that situation. Hey, listen, if somebody's harassing you at work, depending on what they're doing to you, call 911. Or certainly you could call the HR department and complain about what's happening. So, so what do you do, though, if issues are happening at work that you don't like, you feel like it's unfair? Maybe it's not criminal, but maybe you keep getting passed over for promotions that you feel like you deserve and others are getting it. Or maybe you've even been demoted. You think that's, that's an injustice done to me. Or maybe none of that's happening, but you just feel humiliated or embarrassed by your boss from time to time. What do you do? Well, we have options in our context. So you can give your two weeks notice. Like, that's, this is it. I, I don't want to do this anymore. But you're going to do it respectfully. And during those two weeks, you're going to work hard as unto the Lord until the last time you clock out. But you can give your notice. You, another option is you could, you could ask a meeting with your boss. Can, can I help, help me understand why these things are happening? Why do I keep getting passed over? Or, or why, why? I feel like you're humiliating me in these ways. You, you can have a conversation. You're going to do it respectfully. Maybe there's a misunderstanding. Maybe your work performance is not as good as you thought it was. Maybe there's a blind spot. Have that meeting. Be respectful. Be ready to listen. Or after that meeting, you might discover, you know what? I'm going to hang in here. I don't like it. I still feel like an injustice is done to me, but I'm just going to stick it out. I got a few years left before I retire. I'm just going to keep doing it. And I'm going to have to submit to this structure and I'll just do it. Some people have found that they can outlast their boss, right? I think the way he's acting or she's acting, I don't think they'll be around here much longer. I don't want to give up this job. I think it'd be good if I didn't have this boss. So I'm going to hang in here. I'm going to ask God to help me to endure day after day until this boss gets removed from me. And that, could, that can certainly happen. Or maybe you just hang on to the job like, I am looking for other opportunities. This is all I have. I need the income, but I am looking for the exit ramp as soon as God provides the opportunity. But until then, I'm going to submit to this. I'm going to do my work as unto the Lord until God opens up another door. And in so doing, even in a bad situation, you and I can adorn this glorious gospel of our Lord. We can bring glory to God to a watching world. So consider this with me. If actual Christian slaves in the Roman Empire could do this and we're called to this, how much more can we do this through the Spirit's enabling in the places where we're working right here in the freedoms that we have? So we've just been talking about our employment, what we could call together our work suffering in many cases, but now not just the teaching, we're given an example. And what a wonderful example we have, Jesus himself. So we would know this, in every respect, every area of life, we're going to look to Jesus as the perfect example of how to live. But certainly we look at Jesus as an example of what Peter's calling out here. How do you suffer for doing good? We all know that hey, I might suffer when I do something really dumb. 
but I'm doing a good job and I'm suffering for doing good. Do, do I have a role model for this? Jesus is the ultimate role model of this. How can I handle being mistreated by human beings? Jesus is the example. Look at verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. This is interesting. He uses the word called here to this type of suffering unjustly. We've been seeing in the scripture that we're called to a lot of great things. We're called to salvation in Jesus Christ. That great verse we saw not long ago. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a great description of our salvation. Chapter 1 verse 15. We've been called to be holy as our father is holy. That's what we're called to. We've been called to a life of worship and ministry. Remember we saw in chapter 2 verse 9. That we're part of this royal priesthood. And we're ongoing worshipers now in Christ. We've been called to that. But, but here we're told we're called to sufferings in this life. Until heaven we're called to a life that involves suffering. See it again verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, how is Jesus an example of this? What do we see in the life of Jesus that might help us when we're treated unjustly? First of all, we see in Jesus what not to do. Jesus teaches us what he did not do when he was treated poorly. Look at verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So Jesus did not do some things when treated poorly. He did not sin, verse 22. No deceit found in his mouth, even though maybe he was being slandered and he was slandered by others. He didn't revile in return, verse 23. And he did not threaten other people. So you and I, when we're in work or whatever relationship where we feel like we're being treated unfairly, we're inclined to follow the leadership. But we cannot follow into sin. So just like we applied this principle of submission when it came to government, our disposition is there's an authority. God has established authority. I want to obey the authorities. And, and we're, we're, our posture is please make it easy to do. I just want to follow like I'm supposed to do. However, if you ask me to sin, I can't give you that because I have a higher authority than you. That's how we apply it to government. And likewise, even in our places of employment, I can't sin. So if our boss tells us, well, you need to sin, you need to lie to the customers for me. I can't, I can't give you that. That's just not something I can't do. You need to cheat the customers for me. Can't, I can't give you that. You need to betray Christ to work in this place. I, I just can't do that. I'm inclined to follow you, but you're asking something now as a disciple of Christ. I just can't give to you. And when treated unfairly, Jesus models, I can't sin. I can't revile back. Treated unfairly, slandered, I can't, I can't go back with that. I can move on to another job in our context, but I cannot sin. Let's just pause here a moment on this wonderful truth, just considering this is true of Jesus. He never sinned. We know that truth, right? If you've been around church your life, Jesus never sinned. But that's an amazing truth, isn't it? Jesus, not once, ever sinned. Verse 22, he committed no sin. It's an amazing, amazing truth repeated in the scripture. Here's some examples. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amazing truth. Hebrews 4, 15. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Or 1 John 3, 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. But this is so fun. You look at Peter writing, Peter knew Jesus well. He's not just giving the theological truth, which it is a truth, but he's saying, I walked with him as one of those intimate disciples, traveling with Jesus, sleeping beside Jesus, eating meals with Jesus, watching Jesus slandered, their understanding of the sufferings of Christ at the end. And Peter's able to say, as an eyewitness, he never sinned. He never did. Even in the brutalities that came his way, he did not revile. He did not threaten. He just submitted to what the father had for him. This is so different than us, right? If there's ever a time in our lives where we feel entitled to sin, it's when somebody's mistreating us. So we feel like, oh, I was going to be an obedient person. I'm going to be nice because people are nice to me. But oh, if you start treating me badly, all bets are off. And, and we think, we, we think we, when we rationalize it, God even understands now. So I'm being mistreated. All the restrictions on my language coming off now because you've wronged me. I'm, I'm coming at you and God's fine with it. No, he's not. Jesus, your example, he did not sin even when he was wronged, reviled, crucified for you. He didn't sin. The, the, the holiness that you've been called to still applies even when you are being wronged. And so you say, I, I want to say some things that I know I probably shouldn't say. Well, you better not say them. Or there's a tone I want to take at my workplace. No, don't, don't take that tone. Some things I want to do with my hands. No, it's off the table. Some attitudes I want to have. Can't, can't do it. So a person can start to rationalize sin though. Hey, you know, they don't pay me enough. And so because they don't pay me enough, I'm going to steal from them. That should have been in my paycheck anyway. It's not wrong because if I got what I deserve, what other people get at other companies, then I'm just going to take it. I have a right to it. No, that's sin. Or if your boss is a jerk, you can think, well, it's normal that I would just gossip about him and slander him. I've just got to do that. No, no, you don't. It's not what Jesus modeled for us. Or I've been wronged. And so I'm just going to kind of work in an insidious way. I'm going to bring this company down. <laughs> I'm just going to look for ways to really under, undercut this thing from within. Or, or it could be just simply this. I don't like it. I'm not treated well. I'm not paid enough. And so I'm just going to embrace being slack. I'm going to embrace mediocrity here. But that's not what Jesus did. Everything we do, we're to do as unto the Lord rather than for men. So we have an example of what not to do in Jesus when we are wronged. But then we have an example in what to do when we're wronged. Even at work, verse 23. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's what he did. He didn't sin, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In his case, the Lord submitted to the father's plan to give his life in payment for the sins of humanity, for anyone who would believe, to glorify God in redeeming us. So, so where should we go when we're being treated unjustly? Where should we take our minds? Well, our minds are to go to Jesus, our example. Verse 19, he said this, for this is a gracious thing, catch this, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. We're gonna take our minds up to the Lord. All right, this is not uncharted territory. Jesus has blazed this trail for me. I'm gonna be mindful of him as I endure this injustice coming my way. Hebrews 12, two says the same idea. Looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So in suffering, we lift our eyes to Jesus, remembering several things. First, we remember Jesus suffered, even suffered for me. My suffering faithfully, it's part of my calling, and therefore it pleases him, verse 19. God's at work in these circumstances, drawing me closer to him. He's using it for good. James chapter 1, verse 2, Romans 8, 28. And my suffering will actually bring some evangelistic opportunities. And that's all part of this larger context, their submission, so that we have a better testimony among the Gentiles. 1 Peter 2, 12, remember this? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Or remember 1 Peter 2.15, same idea. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I've watched church members do this in different struggles of their lives. Loving Jesus, remaining faithful to Jesus, even when going through really tremendous suffering and, and what a bright light for Christ in those circumstances. Can I tell you a reality? When everything is going great in your life, hardly anybody notices your life. If they notice, the only thing is they're probably tempted to be jealous. Wow, everything's going great for them. I wish everything was going great for me. And so maybe if everything's going great, people are just jealous of you and that's not really helpful. But when everything seems to be going wrong in your life, people start noticing your life. How are they going to react to that? I don't know how I would react to that. And so now you have this platform for the gospel where through the Spirit's enabling, as you look to him, to now you can display Jesus and who he is to you. So you have an unfair teacher. People are thinking, wow, here's what I would do. And you're handling that different. An unfair, unfair coach, an unfair employer. When you're not returning evil for evil. What, what, how do you do that? But you understand that you're entrusting yourself to him who judges justly. You don't need to strike back. There is a judge. Reward is coming. You're hanging in there for Christ. There's a testimony here. So we've been talking about here our employment, our work, suffering in many cases. We've been talking about our example of what not to do and what to do in following Jesus. But then here we look at Jesus and he's far more than example for us. He's our savior. Don't you love verses 24 and 25? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. We already saw in verse 21 that Christ suffered for you. But oh, verse 24, hear the beauty and the weight of these words. This truth that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross. This one that we just celebrated together is the sinless one. The sinless one bore our sins on the cross in payment for our sins. Talk about an injustice. But this was the plan of God. This is the grace of God. That the sinless one would die for your sins. This is why Jesus came to rescue you. This is the grace of God. And this changes everything about your life. It changes every relationship of your life. When you have become a believer in Jesus Christ. Notice it, verse 24. That, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And don't you love verse 25. For you were straying like sheep. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your 
souls. So you have a shepherd. You may have a terrible boss that's treating you unjustly and we'll all pray for you that you can be free from that in a better place where you're treated like you should be treated. We want that for you. We want it for each other. But even with a bad boss, you have a great shepherd, an overseer for your very soul. Do you know the shepherd? I love the 23rd Psalm. It's not just a passage for funerals, though I've preached it many times at funerals. Some years ago, one of the ladies in our church, she one time asked me, she, she told me what the circumstances in her life, she had a lot of hard things going on in her life. And she said, you have a word for me? What, what scripture comes to mind for me? And I said, well, the 23rd Psalm. She panicked. She said, you think I'm dying? No, no you're not dying. 23rd Psalm is not just for funerals, though it's wonderful there. How about apply it to work? You have a shepherd who loves you even though work's maybe going lousy. Hear, hear these words and apply it to your life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have a shepherd. There's never a moment when you're alone. Even when you go to work, you have your shepherd with you. And he's going to lead you faithfully through this life, even the sufferings of this life. And he's going to lead you all the way home to the safety of heaven and the new earth. How wonderful it's going to be. You have a good shepherd the very guardian overseer of your soul. So today, do you know him? Have you ever recognized your sin and repented of your sin? Meaning, I see it's wrong. I want to leave that behind that I might have Jesus. Have you ever made that pivot? Oh, today do that. Turn to Jesus. Let him become the shepherd of your life. Let him cleanse your sins. He indeed is the sinless one who took your sins upon himself, died for those sins on the cross, was raised from the dead, and now the invitation, would you believe in him? Would you trust him? Would you begin now to follow after him? There's no peace like that to be in full submission to Jesus. And would you trust him to lead you in every, every area of your life? Let's pray together.